When I was a kid, my brother and I used to love a movie called The Mighty Ducks. I heard a woo. Does anybody remember the movie? I know it's old and it's a weird way to start a sermon referencing the Mighty Ducks, but for those of you who aren't familiar, it's a story about a disgraced lawyer who gets sentenced to 500 hours of community service and he decides to serve his sentence by coaching the worst peewee hockey team in the entire league. These poor kids, they were lovable but they were dead last in the league. They hardly knew how to skate. They barely had the proper equipment. They were bumbling, they were clumsy. They were the laughing stock of the entire peewee hockey league. Smash cut to the end of the movie, and it's this team, this team that began dead last, that takes home the state championship. They had undergone an an amazing transformation, and now they were state champs. And of course, the crowd cheers and the confetti flies, and we eat this stuff up. We love a good underdog story. And it's why countless movies have followed that same formula of the unlikely hero or the team least likely to win that somehow starts at the bottom but rises to the top. We love stories like that, good underdog stories, because they evoke all kinds of emotions from us. And I know that when I hear a story like that, an underdog story, I can't help but identify with that character. And I root for them, and I want them to succeed. And inevitably, I always see a little bit of myself in them. And the parable we're looking at today begins like a classic underdog story. Jesus begins and ends his parable this way. He says, many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem the least important now will be the greatest then. Or maybe, maybe you're more familiar with it this way. The first will be last, and the last will be first. As a kid growing up in church, that scripture, the first will be last and the last will be first, sadly was used mostly as like a really bad Bible joke. Just a joke that nobody ever thought was funny but for whatever reason kept getting recycled. Say if we were at a church function, any church function that had food. And everybody waits for the food to arrive and when the food finally gets there, there's a mad rush to be first in line. And at my church, without question, some wise-cracking Bible scholar in the back of the line would yell to the person in front of the line, you know, the Bible says that the first will be last and the last will be first. And so I, I, it, I'm in the back. It's me. I'm, I'm the first. And I'm thinking that can't be what Jesus meant. He didn't call his disciples close in this moment to say, hey, listen, disciples, there's something really powerful I want to share with you. Um, it's about the kingdom. Don't ever be the front guy in line. Don't be the first. Always be the last because I'll tell you, the last guy is actually the first guy. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. No, (laughs) that can't be what Jesus was doing. He wasn't making a joke when he shared this phrase, this cryptic phrase with his closest followers. So then what was he getting at? Why would he use such an enigmatic phrase to convey a deep truth about his kingdom? 
Well, we're gonna explore that together today. We're gonna dive deep into the parable of the vineyard owner and see if we can hear the true meaning behind those words, the first will be last and the last will be first. But before we dive in, I'm gonna pray for us. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. This is the day that the Lord has made and I'm gonna rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears, give us ears to hear now the truth of your word. You desire to teach us about your kingdom and we are here open and ready to learn. So would you illuminate your scriptures, bring them to life and be with us now. I pray in your name, amen. So, if you at home or if you in this room are a disciple of Jesus, that is if you consider yourself to be a, a follower of Jesus, I have good news for you. This parable is for you. This parable is for you. And I know this because elsewhere in the book of Matthew, and we've been to a couple of these places already, elsewhere, Jesus goes way out onto the water. He's in a boat so that his voice will carry over the waters and be heard by the masses that have assembled on the shoreline to hear him speak. He's speaking to crowds. But that isn't the case with the parable we're looking at today. He's speaking, in this case, to his closest followers, to his best friends, to his disciples. And so if you're a disciple of Jesus, this is for you. He wanted you to hear this. He had something revolutionary to show his disciples, if they had ears to hear. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. And someone said last night they were a little confused because clearly the parable of the vineyard owner starts in chapter 20, but we're starting in chapter 19 and there's a reason. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. And as you do that, um, I wanna say welcome again to those of you who are joining us online. Thanks for being here. Um, to all the North Indy folks that are watching online and to all the Fishers folks that are watching online, thanks for being here. It's good to be here together. And we're taking a deep dive. We're taking a deep, deep dive this morning because this is a BYOB series, as we call it around here, a bring your own Bible series. And so it's my hope that whether it's on your phone or computer or a book, and I see a couple of Bibles being pulled up right now on the phones and a couple of books open, I want you to have it open in front of you because we're gonna look at the word together. So while you're turning to Matthew chapter 19, I'm gonna give you a little background to set the stage for this parable. Matthew was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. And he was the writer of the book of Matthew and he was himself an underdog of sorts. He was certainly an unlikely choice to become one of the founding fathers of our faith. And I say that because Matthew was a Jewish man who had rebelled against his own culture. He'd rebelled against Jewish things. And he held one of the most despicable positions a person could hold in that day. Matthew was a tax collector a tax collector, and in those days, tax collectors were considered the lowest of the low. They were despised by their fellow Jews because they were known for being dishonest. They were known for collecting more money than a person actually owed and padding their own pockets with the excess. 
One commentary I read said that they could actually be considered extortionists, professional extortionists. Nobody liked them. They were the lowest of the low. And Matthew was in that number. He was counted as a complete social outcast. But then one day, as Jesus was passing through Galilee, he sees Matthew sitting at his tax collecting office in the middle of tax collecting. And with two words, he calls to Matthew and he alters the course of Matthew's life. With two words, he looks at him and says, follow me. Follow me. And from what we can tell in the scripture, at that moment, Matthew leaves his old life behind. He gets up and he follows Jesus. And shortly after that, he has a dinner at his house, a dinner for his honored guest, Jesus, for his new disciple brotherhood, the 12 disciples, and for his old tax collector buddies. He invites all his old sinful friends too. And we know that this was no casual dinner because Luke tells us that this was a feast. Matthew was pulling out all the stops for his honored guest and he wanted his old friends from his old way of life to meet the man who had changed his life with just two words. And so they're gathered and they're about to have this feast but the religious leaders of the day get wind of this and they're not happy about it because back then, Jews had very, very strict purity laws. They had very strict laws about who they could associate with and especially who they could eat with and especially who they could invite to their home. And so when they got wind of this gathering, they were incensed. It was completely unacceptable that Jesus would be sitting around and eating with the worst kind of criminals. And they protested, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Scum. Imagine what that must have felt like to be Matthew in that moment, to be publicly humiliated and vilified and disgraced, to be branded by the powerful religious elite as nothing more than just scum, detested and despised. But I believe Jesus' response to the Pharisees in that moment changed Matthew forever. When he said to the Pharisees, healthy people do not need a doctor. Sick people do. And I have come to call not those who think that they are righteous, but those who know that they're sinners. And Matthew knew he was a sinner. Everybody knew Matthew was a sinner. No one had to tell Matthew he was a sinner. But now he knew that Jesus came for him and for sinners like him. Matthew, the outcast of society, dead last in the eyes of his Jewish contemporaries, was somehow offered the generous, life-altering mercy of Jesus. Matthew, the underdog, was drawn upward into the upside-down kingdom of God where those who seem the least important now become the greatest. The upside-down kingdom of heaven where grace is not fair and square, it's merciful and generous. So the parable of the vineyard owner. Before we read the parable, we have to start with some context because there was a real life event that sparked Jesus telling his disciples this story. And that event was 
a young rich man had come to Jesus while he was hanging out with Matthew, Matthew was there, and his disciples. He comes to Jesus with a burning question, and he says, good teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, in so many words, obey the commandments. And the rich ruler, the rich young man, he responds, well, I've done that. I have done that. I've obeyed all of the commandments, Jesus. What else, what else must I do? And Jesus says, well, if you wanna be perfect, go sell all of your belongings and give the money to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Those are the same two life-changing words that Jesus spoke to Matthew and this Matthew would have caught on immediately. Follow me. He just gave you the invitation. This is gonna change your life. Follow me. But whereas Matthew heard those words and jumped at the chance to follow Jesus without hesitation, the rich man, on the other hand, scripture tells us that he went away sad because he had many possessions. He had many possessions. The cost was too great. He didn't wanna give up his stuff. And as he walked away sad, ignoring Jesus' invitation to follow him, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said something like this. Boy, it sure is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm. And the disciples were astounded, as I would have been astounded, astounded. And they say to him, they say to him in verse 25 of chapter 19, then who in the world can be saved? As if to say, if not this guy, who in the world has a chance of being saved? This guy is righteous. You heard him. He's obeyed all the commandments. I can't say that. I haven't obeyed all the commandments. He's obeyed all of the commandments. He's successful. Clearly, he's being blessed by God because he's rich. Jesus, he's rich. He's rich. He would be such an asset to our kingdom. Jesus, really? What are your expectations? Jesus just upended their idea of what it took to get into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, do you really expect every person on earth to liquidate their entire estate, to leave their families behind, and to follow you around like some kind of nomad? Is that what it costs to get into heaven? Because if that's, if that's what it takes, Jesus, that sounds impossible. Who could do that? And so right here, right here is where I want you to look at your Bibles open in front of you because this scripture that Jesus says to his disciples is everything. In Matthew 19, verse 26, Jesus looked at them, I love this word, intently. He looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. 
Everything is possible. And Peter starts to connect the dots. Well, we've given up everything to follow you. So what will we get? And Jesus assures him, Peter, you and and everyone like you who has given up so much to follow me, you will inherit eternal life. But, but many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem the least important now will be the greatest then. And it's right here where Jesus tells his disciples the parable of the vineyard workers. So read with me in chapter 20, starting at verse one. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner And I have to pause you already because in Matthew's gospel, when you hear the phrase kingdom of heaven, it's the same as the phrase kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same kingdom. So let's keep reading. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and he sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard at noon. And again, at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. So the landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. And when those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. And when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people only worked one hour. And yet you paid them as much as you paid us who've worked all day in the scorching heat? And he answered them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then And those who are first will be last. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Whoever has ears, let them hear. There's a good story in there. In fact, there are multiple good stories in there. This one parable is so rich with symbolism and meaning, and there are so many directions for our minds to go. And that's what makes Jesus' parables so powerful. They are not simply a morality tale with the moral of the story, no. They are an invitation to think and to think deeply, to wonder and to ponder. So would you allow yourselves 
for the time we have left to think and think deeply. We're going to dive in. There are some major truths revealed about the kingdom of heaven in this parable. The same kingdom that so many of us have been praying about our whole lives, right? Every time we say the Lord's Prayer, what do we say? Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what kingdom are we talking about? And what does it really look like? Well, there's so much in this parable to illuminate what that kingdom is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the day and at all different points throughout the day and at the end of the day. So for me, the most obvious takeaway is that this is a story about generosity, the generosity of the landowner about the extravagant kindness of our benevolent landowner, God, who gives of his gifts freely to whomever he wills. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Our king is generous, and he pours out his mercy equally to everyone who answers his call. He pours out his mercy equally. So then is this a story about equality, about fairness in God's economy, about how we're all created equal in his sight Everyone received the same wage at the end of the day, regardless of how many hours they had spent laboring. Everyone who heard the generous call of the landowner and agreed to follow him. Everyone who was willing. So then maybe this is a story about willingness. Maybe it's a story that indicates our need, my need to simply be present and available and willing to follow him. Willing to follow Jesus just like Matthew did into the fields, into the vineyard because it's harvest season and we desire to do the work of the kingdom and there's so much work to be done. So then maybe that's it. Maybe this is a parable that illustrates for us that the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Earlier on in Matthew, Jesus had been going from town to town performing all kinds of miracles, right? We know these miracles. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom that had now come to earth. His kingdom has come. It's embodied in Jesus. And he tells his disciples to pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. It's harvest time, everyone. It's harvest time. I had, a few, I had a moment a few weeks ago where I was feeling overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the work of the kingdom. Sometimes it happens. I was feeling overwhelmed because the need that I saw was so great all around me. Tyler referenced 2020, the need this year. Dear Lord, the need is so overwhelmingly great and the workers are so few, there's not enough of us. And I cried out to God alone in my house, and in that instance, he spoke so gently, so quietly to my spirit, and he said, that's, that's not how that goes, Mary, and that's not what I said. I didn't say that the harvest is overwhelming. I said the harvest is plentiful, and it changed my perspective 
Every farmer wants a plentiful, bountiful harvest. Nobody wants a skimpy harvest. And Jesus said, "It's time. The harvest is plentiful, and yes, the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into His fields." I needed to change my perspective. Instead of feeling overwhelmed by the need, I needed to see the opportunity, to recognize the opportunity for God to do something incredible. <clears throat> the fields, just like this vineyard, are ripe with opportunity. And we need to pray to our generous God to raise up an army of volunteers to come alongside us in these fields to tell the good news of a grace that is not fair and square, but is merciful and generous. Merciful and generous. Is this parable telling us to become more like that, more like the landowner, more like the father? Is it telling us to show each other mercy, human being to human being, that we're to demonstrate his brand of justice, God's justice, with such extravagant kindness and love and mercy toward one another, forgiveness where it isn't deserved, and kindness and mercy where they haven't been earned. Jesus said, love each other in the same way that I have loved you, selflessly, with no strings attached. Well, that might feel like a tall order because it's hard to do. Jesus, it's, it's so hard to do. To love people who are different from me goes against every natural tendency that I have because I identify with the disgruntled workers in this parable, with the indignant ones. This is a story about jealousy and I know jealousy. The first workers were hired early in the morning. They had been the ones laboring in the hot sun all day. They were tired, they were worn, have you ever worked a job like that? I've worked lots of jobs like that. By the end of the day, you're just so bone tired, tired to your core, and it's time to get paid, and it's time to go home. And who does this guy call first? If I'm one of those people on that early crew hired at 6 a.m., and he calls the guys who just worked an hour, and he's paying them first, well, now I'm upset because I'm tired and I want to go home and now I have to wait in lines because he's going to pay everybody else before he pays me. And so then I reason, well, maybe, maybe he's paying them first because, you know, they're not going to make as much money as I am and he doesn't want them to be embarrassed. So, okay, at least I know I'm making more than them. And then to everyone's surprise, the landowner pays those that worked only one hour a full day's wage a full day's wage. And I'm thinking to myself, have the rates changed? Maybe the rates have changed. Let's see, if, if they got paid for a full day's work and they only worked one hour and I've been here since six in the morning, then I stand to make over a week's pay for just one day's work and suddenly my spirits are lifted. I'm not quite as tired or sore anymore. This is the greatest day ever. He's the greatest boss ever. I can't wait to tell my family. What are they going to say when I come home with a sack of money? Maybe I don't even have to work for the rest of this week. Maybe I can put that money away and really buy that thing I wanted. And as I hold my hands out to receive my pay, he puts one single coin in my hand. And I'm shocked, 
and I'm disappointed, and I'm angry. What, what does this mean? You, you gave them that much. They haven't even been here for an hour. I've been here all day. You were generous with them. Why not me? What about me? And he says, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for one day's wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker as much as I paid you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? This is an underdog story, but it's an underdog story with a divine twist. And here's the twist. Grace isn't fair and square. It's not fair at all. Grace is merciful and abundant and generous. And this is really great news when I identify with those hired later in the day. And I do. When I identify with those who know that they don't deserve this generosity, they didn't do anything to earn this when I identify with those hired later in the day, when I consider how rich and how generous is this landowner, God, that he would pour out his blessings on someone like me who doesn't deserve it, this undeserved favor of the Father. Listen, some of you maybe can't place yourselves at that part of the story because you have been good all your life, but that is not the case with me. I resonate with those workers hired later in the day because even when I was down at the bottom of the barrel, when I was scum, when I was Matthew, Jesus called to me with two words and I followed him and he changed my life and he took me on a crazy journey and it's why I'm standing in front of you today. He transformed me, not because of any good that I had done, but because of Jesus, only because of Jesus. Salvation is mine, forgiveness is mine, eternal life is mine, hope, strength, and mercy are mine. And by the way, that mercy is my favorite part because it renews every morning and it never expires. Mercy is mine, love is mine, because I just met the Savior and he gave me far more than I have ever deserved and the crowd cheers and confetti flies because this underdog was called into the upside down kingdom of heaven for he has come not to call those who think that they are righteous but to show mercy to underdogs like me who know that they are sinners. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear that grace is not fair and square. It's not fair at all. It's merciful and generous. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Is that you? Have you been doing this thing a long time? Serving God faithfully with your life? I know it's exhausting. I know that you're tired. But in the words of one of my favorite gospel songs, let me say, hold on, old soldier. Hold on. Hold on. Pray, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. So run to him, he is your strong tower. Pray, but as you pray and you let him renew your strength, it's an active recovery. Pray for the workers in the field. Pray for God to send more workers. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. God is in charge of the work that we do. 
and he brings the increase. So pray to him and let him renew your strength. Let the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who says, friend, should you be jealous because I am kind to others? Do you struggle with being judgmental towards others in the kingdom of God? Honestly, do you struggle with being judgmental towards people who don't think the way you do or believe the way you do or see the world the way you do? Do you struggle? Jesus said, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Listen, listen to the heart of your king. Love each other, love each other, just like Jesus loved us. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who gives generously of his abundance, grace and mercy to all who would simply receive. Do you struggle to receive his mercy like I did? Do you struggle to break free from your sinful past? Do you feel branded the way Matthew was branded? A sinner. Good news, good news. Christ came for you. Forgiveness is yours. His mercy is new every morning. Lift your head and follow Jesus. It's okay. Step into the calling and the destiny he has for you. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out late in the day to hire more workers for his vineyard. Is that you? Are you still waiting? Are you still standing around doing nothing, as it said in verse 3? Have you not yet accepted Christ's invitation to follow him? I have good news. Our generous land-owning God is still hiring. It is getting late in the day but he's still hiring. He is still out there looking for you. He's still giving. He's still pouring out his love to all who will receive it. He's giving you the invitation. He stands at your door and knocks, saying, build your life upon the solid rock that is Jesus and know the peace that he has for you, the mercy that is new every morning. Those who have ears to hear those who have ears to hear. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear.